Welcome to the 9642 Podcast. This is your host, Mr. Number 9. And this is The Fool. Hello, everyone. We are just about at the end of the year, and we're going to do our year review in all sports. Yeah. We're going to do this by putting... uh, We're going to have two separate lists. We're going to do the sports people of the year and Mm -hmm. the great moments of the year. They're going to be in no particular order. We're just going to go in the order that we came up with them and made our list. Yeah. Yeah, I should also clarify so far this year. Just because if you know anything about 2021, you shouldn't tempt fate. Yeah, yeah. There's like, what, a day and a half left at this time of recording. So apologize to all the people who listen to this when it goes up, which will probably be in the first few days of the new year, if something amazing's happened in that last day and three hours. And we haven't talked about it. Yeah. Very much clarifying, it is this year so far. <laughs> well, it's been a great year. We've had so many great things happen this year. There's the Copa America, yeah. there's the Euros. And I like that those two tournaments are held at the same time now. Yeah. Um, I feel like that allows a certain degree of cross-cultural football narrative to occur between the two of them. You could almost see them hosting a the two tournaments at the same time in the future and like maybe even have a playoff between the two winners or something like that like an yeah, intercontinental yeah. that could be fun championship or something but anyway yeah. those are down the track we had <laughs> formula one we just where well, me and the fool were talking before yeah. it's like this incredible narrative that we just followed all year perhaps one of the best f1 seasons in a while in terms of especially in terms of closeness of result and just the story. The only one I can think of that compares to this season is the 1994 season where Damon Hill and Michael Schumacher were were only a point apart from each other going yeah, into yeah. the final race. Yeah. And we all know what Michael Schumacher did in that final race. There's no need to bring back history. But yeah. It happened. We had the Olympic Games finally, yeah. the 2020 finally. Olympic Games held this year. Um, but we're going to just assume they count for this year, even though it's technically the 2020 Olympics. Yeah, yeah. Um, we obviously had the T20 World Cup, the Test World Championship final. America's Cup as well. America's Cup as well. Uh, the Super Bowl in February. Yeah. World Series, NBA, bunch of great things. But to put it all down in this eventful year, we're going to somehow break it down into 10 so we're going to th- talk about the top 10 be- sports people. And I think even though we said that we're not going in any particular order about the sports people of the year, I think the first one we're going to talk about, it's hard to argue with the year that he had Novak Djokovic. Yeah. What can we say? It was a crazy year. Now, obviously, he's had a controversial year off the field. Yeah. He, you can't argue with the results on the field. It's cl- so close to being the first male Grand Slam winner since the 60s. Yeah. Um, it's incredible that he managed to get 
to three win three grand slams in a year it's like unheard of in my lifetime it's definitely crazy like it's and he was dominant in each of them as well like yeah yeah and like just that even that final uh, the it was getting so close i think we were all willing him to win but yeah medvedev good on uh, you know fair play he managed to get him there but you know i'm sure he's disappointed not to get the four but yeah he's achieved something that's not going to be done in a long time i think and hasn't been done in a while yeah yeah i mean and yeah I think Even... Pete Sampras is the last player to do it back in 1993. Yeah, exactly. So you're going back a long way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just crazy. His um, Djokovic's record for the year, just in general, like the amount of games he played in, is just all win, win, win all the way down. Like singles and losses is yeah. Total. Uh... And, like, I think nobody's ever argued that he's in that pantheon of great tennis players. And I think, yeah. given how strong the, of this era is of tennis players, him, Nadal, Federer, um, Andy Murray, Medvedev, mm. they're all, you know, he's not, like, he's dominant and nobody's around to challenge him. No, no. So, he's, it's incredible what he's achieved in his career so far. But this year is, like, the crowning glory of, like, already glittering career like a legendary career yeah yeah it's it's yeah so it's just staggering to think of of his yeah a crazy season for him um mm. and it's not like he's in a going up against people who are nobodies or anything like it's one of yeah. the strongest men's tennis fields um and he's just absolutely killing it it's just amazing yeah yeah Following on from Novak Djokovic, we have another candidate for somebody who may as well be one of the top sportsmen. Like, I think, good argument that they're first or second. It's uh, Lisa Carrington. Yeah. Um, once again, like, you may you can set your clock to it. She's going to win gold at the Olympics. Yeah, you can take that to the bank, and she did. Yeah. And she's basically New Zealand... I think New Zealand's greatest ever Olympian. Don't think that's in doubt. I mean, she's most uh, medals, most golds. It's just, you know, once again, crazy. Yeah, and dominates her sport. There's no, yeah. uh, there's no question that she is like maybe one of the greatest uh, uh, canoeists of all time. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, kayaking, kayakers of all time. Yeah. Beg your pardon, but yeah, like she's she's gonna be like when she retires, she's gonna be missed. She's gonna be the goat. Like, there's yeah. a reason why she was in. She was one of the people in my uh, non cricketers uh, cricketing eleven. Yeah, yeah, exactly. She shows up. She wins gold. It's or she wins whatever she's getting in. Is pretty yeah. much the way it goes. There's just everybody else is know they're fighting for second. Like oh, Lisa's in the field. Yeah. Um, Yes, second is what we're yeah. going for now. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. Once again, it's crazy how dominant she is in her sport. Yeah, I mean, she was already in the pantheon of great Olympians and, you know, New Zealand's pantheon of the Olympic, you know, Olympic figures. Uh, but, yeah, she's exactly. now there at the greatest, I, th- uh, I believe. Oh, easy. Easy peasy at the greatest, yeah. And following on from her, once again, you're another lady who's dominated the... Well, Paralympics, but yeah. Sophie Pascal, what a year, two medals. 
Tactics. She's been competing for so long. I can't even remember her when she didn't. You yeah. you know, like when she wasn't a gun Paralympian. Like she's been here since Beijing. Yes, I think that's the the first um Olympics. First Olympics, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so, like she's just Paralympics, won Paralympics. Beg your pardon, yeah. but yes, she's been here since Beijing, and she just wins all the time. Like. There's uh, very few athletes who can compete with her record, Olympics or Paralympics, for that matter. New Zealand's greatest ever Paralympian. What more can you say about her? Like, she's just... I think she has... Uh, she is retiring. She, yeah. This was her last Games, so I she will so. be missed. I don't know if she announced it, but it was pretty much... Oh, she's retiring from... Um, was it the 200-meter medley? Oh, okay. So she's only retiring from from one of them. The one that she just like, yeah. There's well, one where she says she's definitely retiring from, um, which is the one that's yeah. I'm pretty sure it's the 200 meter medley, which is just basically blitzed everybody for since yeah 2008 and just won gold. Like, but she's like, right. okay, had enough of that one. Right. But she wasn't decided whether she was back for the next Paralympics in in the, one of the the breaststroke or the the backstroke yet. Um, I mean. She's going to be in her early 30s, and like, sure, for other athletes, that seems like, yeah, you, you're in your peak and stuff, but swimming's different. Yeah. Like, uh, but yeah, I wouldn't put it past her to still kick ass if she did. Oh, definitely. It, I think it was just up to her. She decided that the pain of the 200 meter medley was, was too much to be bothered right. with again. Like, there was nothing left to prove. She'd yeah. shown that that's. She's the most dominant in that particular field absolutely and so but it will just come down to whether she has the the drive to go to another paralympics or not um which will just come yeah. down to whether whether she wants more golds or not absolutely and i hope she does because it would be incredible to see her achieve more but you know she's achieved a lot there's nothing learn wanting from her career i think no exactly now, following on from Sophie, we go to a sportsman I think we both like, mm. and who it proves that uh, in a team sport you can be the best uh, and still not be successful. Joe Root, um, what a year he's had, and yeah. what a terrible team. Like, yeah. this is one of the worst England teams we've ever uh, seen, and I was there during the 90s. Yeah, exactly. This is like I've seen like things on the internet. The current England teams this year, their third highest scorer was extras, and extras yeah. isn't even good enough to get into the Bangladesh team. That's yeah. how bad their third best <laughs> batsman is. <laughs> yeah, no, it's crazy. It's just yeah, extras with four hundred odd runs and. Rory Burns uh, with another, also like 400 odd runs. So it's, it's 530 for Rory Burns, but yeah. Yeah, 530. Oh, it's a woeful, woeful result. When Rory Burns is your second best batsman with the year he's had, yeah, that's a rough situation to be in. Like Joe Root managed to win in, in lead England to a victory in India, which is super credible. Yeah, especially and led them to a series victory in Sri Lanka. You know, they basically had that series in India to play for a spot in the finals, which they didn't get. They then went on to lose a test series against New Zealand, 
were about to lose a test series to India, probably at home. Yeah. And yeah, the they've lost the Ashes already. Yeah. So. His team have had a terrible year, but he's had the second greatest calendar year in the history of Test cricket. Look, whatever that record is worth, I still, you know, nobody can argue with the performance and the numbers that he's no. put out. No, no, exactly. And also, he's gotten about, from my count, 10 wickets this year with the ball. Oh, really? Because he got a six for in India. Oh, yeah. And got a few wickets in Sri Lanka as well. Yeah, yeah. That was uh, the problem because he got a six fur in that game, and f- England fans were cheering until they realized, wait, if Joe Root is getting <laughs> wickets, what's Ashwin gonna do? <laughs> exactly. Have a whole lot of left-handers in our lineup, and Ashwin is as good, as deadly a lefty killer as we've had in this sport. Exactly. But yes, an incredible year. Cricketer of the Year, in my opinion. Definitely. Definitely Cricketer of the Year. I mean, as you say, to to put out these numbers in a team this woefully bad. I mean, yes. Just the ability Basically, to be able Basically, he's to... had a Lara-esque year, which is, yeah. if you know how much I love Brian Lara, that is not a faint praise. No, that is, I actually agree with you, like, and it's very high praise. Like, just looking down at it, at these... Like he's it's the biggest difference between the top scorer in a team and the second top scorer in a team. There's Joe Root's seventeen hundred, just over seventeen hundred, and Rory Burns is five thirty. The difference is eleven seventy eight. The next closest was Viv Richards with Roy Federicks in nineteen seventy six, which was eight hundred twenty nine. Oh no, eight hundred eighty one difference between them. Yeah. So it's just. And so it's not like Roy Fredericks had a bad year. 800-odd runs in a calendar year is go- is a good yeah. performance. It's also the biggest difference between the highest run scorer in a calendar year and the second highest run scorer of any team in a calendar year. So Joe Root, 1,700. Robert Sharma, 906. Which is the 802 difference, which is... Yeah. yeah. It's a tough so. era to be batting in. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I believe... It's been shown the global batting average since the 2015 World Cup in Australia, New Zealand is is currently 35, which shows you that it's a tough batting era that we're in. And England's global uh, bat, sorry, test batting average in that era is uh, under 20, un, sorry, under 28. Yeah. So like 27 point something. So even bad for this era of, you know, difficult to bat. Yeah, yeah. I would hate to think what it was if he took Root's numbers out of out of that. Yes. But yeah. yeah, they have one of the four modern-day greats, and yeah, yeah. that's... Uh, and that's still how their performances are going. So it's tough, tough times for England. Very tough. But at the end of the day, it'll be... Yeah, uh, Root will always have this year... I don't know how much he wants to remember it because it's uh, it's been bad for his team, but yeah. Mm. Hopefully, at the end of his career, he can look back and you know enjoy what he's done. Yeah, exactly. Now, a player who is on the opposite end and being super successful is the great Tom Brady. Yeah. Touchdown, Tom wins his seventh Super Bowl. Just incredible. Like a man great. who's been in ten Super Bowls, like just incredible. Yeah, 
and there's still a completely new team. Like, change teams, and then... Completely new team, but he still has Gronk. I still have Gronk. <laughs> That's all he needs. That's all he needs. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, just crazy, the, the class of him. Just, and yeah. the... Uh, to be fair, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were a good team, but they oh, were yeah. missing ha- having a uh, missing a having a qua- uh, franchise quarterback. And Tom Brady came in and then convinced them to get a bunch of other players who made them even better yeah, yeah. than they were. Um, um, like, even though uh, TB12 was the MVP of the Super Bowl, um, I do think he his defense should have won that. Um, yeah, yeah. Just because of what they did to poor Patrick Mahomes in that game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but he obviously it's like old times. Just get, throws two tutties to Gronk, and yeah, easy win. Yeah. And then after that, he at one point uh, this season he looked like he was on course for getting six thousand yards and like six, almost sixty-five touchdowns. So like oh he, my. he's uh, he's been in incredible form. Obviously, that's slowed down because nobody can ever maintain that level of pace. Uh, but don't be surprised if we're talking about Tom Brady this time next year as well. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. It's just a crazy year for him. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. So from one goat to the next, it's incredible to think about uh, when you think about having a uh, somebody who is just so good at a sport like marathoning, just because it's such a hard sport, like so yeah. difficult to stay at the top for long and be a as dominant. Uh, and also, like, there's a reason why there's only been like three um, people to uh, win the uh, win the marathon gold back to back. But uh, like, this man needs no introduction. Eloid Kipchoge, the car- the only man to have run a marathon in under two hours, though he did do that in conditions that were designed. To, yeah. to help him break this record, which is not considered an official record, but still, he did it. <laughs> he did run this set amount of distance in that time. Yeah, exactly. And he's broke, you know, and he has a current, mar- he has, he holds the current marathon world record. Yeah. Uh, which is, uh, and the Olympic world our, record. Pretty yes. close to that to our back anyway, so. And to go from being a middle distance runner earlier in his career, because he um, he that used to run the 5,000 meters, yeah. which he had also medaled in, mm-hmm. uh, winning in Athens, winning a bronze in Athens and silver in Beijing, because we're going, yep, I'm going to be a marathoner now, and then becoming the greatest at that sport. Like it just shows like the resolve and the like the pure chutzpah of this guy, right? Like, yeah, yeah, he just... Exactly. He just loves running, and he's just doing it. And, well, like, I think we're all going to cheer for him to try and do... repeat the, what he's doing in the 2024 Olympics in Paris. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it's... You know, he... It's almost... It's almost impossible to think of uh, somebody else coming along to do it. Like... 
the when you consider that the two other people who are who have the who have won back to back uh golds uh I remember their names now um one of them is one of the the great uh, east german Mar- uh, the great east german marathon runner and the other guy the other person is the ethiopian marathon runner who won it barefoot in the uh, in the Tokyo Games back in the 60s, so it's oh, right, yeah. incredible. Yeah. Like you know, he won he he wanted barefoot, and then the second time he was sponsored by Puma. Then halfway through the race, he took his shoes off and ended it barefoot, <laughs> famously, just because you know, yeah. What uh, he doesn't need to uh, do, he da- basically he doesn't need to uh, shoes to do, to perform at his best. So the uh, so we are looking forward to see what he could do. He's probably Definitely. he's for the first time ever ma- finished outside the medals in the Paris Olymp- uh, Paris Marathon this year. But he's yeah. probably just saving some fuel, and he's gonna be pushed hard to compete for the next time. Yeah, yeah. yeah like going. along, like he's arguably even amongst Kenyan. Long distance runners may be now in the maybe now in a position to be considered the greatest Kenyan long distance runner. Yeah. I mean And like that's no faint praise either. No, no, that is definitely no faint praise. That's why I mean Yeah, you say world record holder, first man to go into two hours, back to back gold medalist. And still when you say that you still gotta think like, yeah, I guess He's in the conversation, which is sort of saying how much Kenyan runners are. But yeah, I think with what he's achieved, it's it's hard to say that he's not the greatest. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Now, moving on from him, but staying in the Olympics, for the first time this year, we had the wonderful sport of skateboarding a, a sport i totally claim i could have gone pro in if i knew you could go <laughs> pro in it when i was a kid the uh we had the and i think we had the best uh skating disciplines because it's like the most widely per, uh, done which is park and street basically yeah. street being you get to show a, a bunch of tricks going down a rail and a few ramps and uh Park being you doing tricks on a bowl, yeah. which is like the two, which is like obviously the way we did empty swimming pool skating. So those are the two, obviously the two purest forms of skate skating there is. Yeah. Um, and in that uh, we had uh, Nishia Momoji uh, from Japan becoming the youngest gold gold medalist from that country proud history uh, at the olympics who and they uh also uh and also she's the third youngest olympic olympic gold medal winner of all time yeah. at the time of the event she was 13 and like she's been competing in the x games since she was like uh 7 years old so like she's already a veteran yeah so and like in Japan, the skating is still seen as this sport that's like 
underground and like parents things uh, something that parents disapprove of and you're seen as a bit of a rebel if your parents allow you to skate which you know if, in japan that's a big deal yeah 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 um so she managed to win the street event and she and uh, like a little small shout out to the that uh, all the people all the females who won the medal in that event they were all teenagers uh two of them were 13 um and they're all born in japan <laughs> so uh, we expect great things from the land of the rising sun in <laughs> skateboarding in the future yeah definitely especially when we see the next generation of skaters were like going to be inspired by these yeah, exactly. uh, I don't I believe every skater both the male and female event were under 20 yeah so there's a lot the future is bright for skateboarding and like and I think the Olympics have picked the ones that are the most participatory like the, in terms of like most participatory they're the disciplines that have the most number of people who take part in it but aren't like the big draws in the x games so the x games can always and the olympic games are complementary events rather than competitive with yeah, each yeah. other Definitely. so i do think it's gonna work out well for the uh for the sport in the future um and staying in that theme about the youngest, we have another teenager, Emirati Kanu, who oh, yeah. went on, who won the U.S. Open at the tender age of 18, and just a few weeks after giving her A levels, which is basically, I mean, would you have been able to win a Grand Slam after a few weeks after your bursaries, Adam? No, no, no. I don't think I was those few weeks after that especially between, you know, setting them and getting your results, there wasn't a lot of anything that was able to be done. Yeah. A lot of hoping and waiting. So, yeah, to go out and win a, a Grand Slam, even if I could potentially win a Grand Slam at that point in time, no. Yeah, I I remember, I think I got my burst result on the day of a test, first day of a test match, India versus New Zealand, and mm-hmm. Simon Duell got seven wickets that that day. What a good day. Yeah, and to the point where I actually forgot, like, we got, I got the letter, and it was, like, Ministry of Education, and my parents were like, open it, and I'm like, no, after the sofa. <laughs> I'll look at it later. Oh, dear. Yeah, I don't think I was allowed to, to wait. I can't, yeah. <laughs> I just remember becoming a mum, just like, yeah, here's the scissors, open this now. <laughs> Uh, I I I think I recall saying like if you want to look at it, open it yourself. Like I'm watching. Uh, but yeah, it turned out okay in the end. Yeah, as these things tend to. Yes. But yes. Uh, Emma Raducanu winning a major this time. And yeah. Was it the first female qualifier to win a Grand Slam? Yes. And, and um, the youngest as well. Well, the youngest female to win a... a I believe the youngest female to win a Grand Slam in almost 30 years. Yeah. Because she's older than Steffi Graf when she when Steffi completed a, Grand, a calendar Grand Slam. Because she won all four Grand Slams in 1988. And she won the Olympics. So that's yeah. never been done by any tennis player. Yeah. 
um, but yeah, that was a long time ago. The sport was very different and you know not as competitive as it is today, I believe. Yeah, well, exactly. I think yeah, as we were saying with the with um, Djokovic and being in a very strong field, like I do feel that the women's tour at the moment is is very competitive. Um, yeah, a lot of people like to complain about um, the quality is not good because you don't get the same winners, well, same people competing, you know, Grand Slam and Grand Slam out. But I more see that as being how competitive it is because it's. You know, yeah. the top players have got to be on their form. Have got to, um, from the first and second rounds onwards, they don't get any easy games because basically it's so even yeah. that they can lose in those first and second rounds quite easily if they're not concentrating. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So it actually makes um, it a lot more interesting because you don't have to, you know, the men's one, it's can be a little bit of a snore up to the quarters semis mm. when they start to to get the top um, players playing each other on a thing. It's yeah. Like, well, Djokovic is going to win through to there. Federer is going to win. Nadal is going to win. But in the women's one, like, you don't have that predictability. Yeah. Absolutely. And the uh, this era is as competitive as an era as I've seen in women's tennis um, in my long time of being a tennis fan. Um and I think uh, Radikanu's uh, like it's going to be an incredible future for tennis as well. So yeah. fingers crossed, we'll see her do more great things. Yeah. Um, as we oh, go we should, on, should add in that she won that U.S. Open without dropping a set either. So yeah, like absolutely dominated that yeah. tournament. It's absolutely. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Now, moving on from uh, a, a young champion, we go to a new champion. Yeah. Max Verstappen. Yeah. Woo. What a year. What a year. I mean, I think everybody has been waiting for somebody to challenge Lewis Hamilton in yeah. the F1 circuit. Um, Lewis has obviously, like, you know, he's equaled Michael Schumacher's. Um, a uh, number of F1 championships, yeah. you know, they're, uh, you know, basically in the conversation for being maybe the greatest British sports person of all time, maybe yeah, one definitely. of the greatest, um, definitely one of the greatest uh, F1 drivers of all time. Yeah. Because he's also won it with two different teams. Yeah, exactly. Sure, he's got the dominant, better car, all that stuff. All that stuff is valid. Yeah. yeah. And That's he's done it this but he has won it with the not better car before. Yeah. Well, the thing is that you only get the drive for the the dominant better car, the fastest car, if you are the fastest driver. Like yeah. Mercedes aren't going to keep him in the seat, their top seat. Yeah. If he wasn't that good. Exactly. So, you, yeah, they go. It's hand in glove. It goes together. The two concepts. That's that's the spoils of him being so good, as he gets to drive the fastest car, and that's how F1 set up. You're the fastest driver, you drive the fastest car, you win everything. But, you know, that's just how it is. And if you start slipping up and someone comes up behind you, well, you know, those teams want to be at the top, so they start looking there. So, and, and the fact that he's been so dominant for so long, yeah, it just means 
he is yeah. one of the greatest. Absolutely. And but yeah. I believe and uh, I believe uh, he will go down as one of the greatest and with it's going to be an interesting time for F1. Yeah. I right, we're going to go back into F1 as we go when we go to our second list, but yeah. it's a really yeah. really exciting time an exciting future for F1. Um but Max Verstappen like yeah. and Red Bull in general, like just the whole how they've changed the sport for the better, mm. I believe. Like absolutely dominated like sports in general, um just being like a new invasive species just changing the niche and the ecosystem. Yeah. Like because yeah, Verstappen's win this win for him has been coming for the last few years. Yeah. It's been inevitable. Like, it's just something that you just knew was going to happen. It was a matter of when, not if. Um, and the yeah. fact that Red Bull are now going to make their own engines and yeah. things like that, it's going to be... In- it's it's incredible to see what a sugary, uh, sugar en- sugary energy drink can do. <laughs> uh, I guess that's what happens when you have all the money. I mean, just, like, just think about what it happened. Like, Red Bull... You know, it started in the 80s. I remember a time, I think you and I can remember a time when Red Bull would do these really clever advertising uh, things where we would go out, you know, after going to finishing a movie late night, as we walked out, we'd see a rubbish can full of Red Bull cans. Oh, yeah, yeah. And things like that. And that was, and we didn't think about it, but that was actually a marketing campaign. And just clever things like people in club, you know, the the uh, founder of Red Bull would literally go into clubs and throw empty bottles of Red Bull on the floor, so people would be like, "Oh, this is a popular drink. We should go drink it and try it out." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's so, crazy. so they're like, yeah, they're also one of the most disruptive, uh, you know, businesses in the world, and, like, they've been disrupting the world of sports multiple ways, um, and we've talked long and hard about what companies like Red Bull have done in the sports world, but uh, we can't, like, as great a sportsman as Max Verstappen is, we can't ignore Red Bull's role in that, like, it's the year where it's all this work has finally come through, and they've gotten the rewards for all this you know yeah uh investment well once again it's the same as the lewis hamilton argument like max Verstappen has to be good enough for red bull to be yes. able to push this um and he is like he's he is a ridiculous good driver i had a wonderful argument um well polite discussion with my cousin on christmas day around the yeah. the relative greatness between of this year between Verstappen and, and Hamilton and which one was more deserving. Yeah. I'll lay my tails at the cards out there. I'm a big Verstappen fan, like huge. I yeah, I've I've never been as big a Hamilton fan. Um, but a little bit of that is is his early days tainting my view of him. Um, yeah, he's got better over time. He's matured. It's like it's fine. Um, but there was a wonderful debate there around Verstappen's driving style and everything, but. I like his aggressive driving style, and it it works out for yeah. him. You know, he he's been consistently one of the better drivers over at least the last two, three, four seasons. I mean, yeah. other than Hamilton, but yeah. And, and he's he's been say it's definitely been a win 
would he win his first championship? Not if. Yeah. Just and it's just a sign of what a great race car driver he is, and I'm sure he'll go like next season's. I'm eagerly looking forward to it because it's going to be a crazy season, um, with Lewis going for you know a world record um, number of championship, and but Verstappen coming in to defend and and really on top. Yeah. Same Red Bull building everything, new car designs. Yeah, it's new rules. It's be, new rules. It's going to be crazy. Really yeah, crazy. I mean. F1 is probably the best run major big money sport in the world at the moment. Like they've become, they've gone from being people who didn't understand why you need to be on Facebook to being the best social media people in any sport. Yeah. And like they're the fastest growing sport in the world in terms of new people subscribing to their channel and like number of eyeballs who follow their videos on youtube facebook it's incredible how the sport has grown since uh, uh bernie eccleston sold uh the uh, formula one yeah to the new managing marketing group and so it's i'm super interested in like there's so much other sports can learn from f1 and i'm really interested in seeing it like it's fascinating for me to watch just because obviously you and i podcast about this sort of stuff a lot about the economics and you know cultural yeah impact of sports and like how especially subculture and social uh social media influence but yeah the F1 is like almost uh, one of the most fascinating, in my opinion, one of the most fascinating cases of that. Yeah, and definitely. Max Verstappen is like, like almost epitomizes everything about that. Yeah. Um. Now, last and most certainly not least, we go to another goat, possibly yeah. the well. Goat by New Zealand standards. Yeah. Uh, Captain Kane, steady the ship. All the nicknames yeah. is Kane Williamson has had a fantastic year, both as a player and as a captain. Um, yeah. Almost the opposite of Joe Root. <laughs> like other players in the team have stepped up when he's not been able to be in the runs. Um, yeah. He's had an injury plagued year. Yeah. But he's still put out numbers when it's counted with centuries against Pakistan uh, in earlier in the year excuse me getting the team acclimatized in England and obviously that captaincy which I kept complaining about and getting annoyed with him about which ended up winning against India in the final yeah and not to be outdone he would he takes the team to a third consecutive final as yeah. a captain Ed did his so, damnedest to win that final. Um, yeah. Yeah. Had had a lot going against him, batting first in a T20 in um, the UAE and everything. So And scoring and, only 30 in your batting power play. A bunch, yeah. bunch of things. But at the end of the day, he's still, we've still managed to get silver. Um, yeah. Is Kane Williamson the best captain are the Black Caps have ever had? Must be pretty close. Um, I mean, I'm sure you can argue that with the re- the results on hand, yes. Yes. Like, I would only put the counter-argument that the only other captain I consider the, in the conversation 
Because I think he he has surprised uh, Brendan McCullum. Yeah. For captaincy, like just his ability to read the pitch and know the strategy and uh, yeah, and yeah. like be like a calming influence. Like yeah, Bren yeah. uh, Bre Brendan McCullum is the man manager. He gets the team to run through walls for him and things like that. And we may need a captain like him again after Kane Williamson retires. Yeah. But yeah. Kane is the kind of captain we'd need now, but Kane Williamson clearly has like one of the best teams that New Zealand has ever had. Yeah, definitely. Uh, playing, uh, and he's gotten the most out of them. So the only other captain I would consider is uh, Stephen Fleming, who I think had uh, has managed to do a lot of things that Kane Williamson hasn't, with I don't think as good a team as Kane has had. Uh, a drawn series in Australia with two yeah. games where New Zealand almost won, a and they were, went on to beat uh, beat Australia in three out of four one dayers in that um, World Series back in the day, the Tri Series World Series. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We used to have uh, one New Zealand's first ever ICC medal yeah. in Kenya with the Champions Trophy and course took New Zealand to uh, the semi-finals of the 99 World Cup back from one of its lowest points ever like New the New Zealand cricket team's ever been yeah 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 and rebuilt that team so like that's the only person I consider like in the same league as Kane Williamson but though, to me those two are the two best captains like of course we have to give special mention to people like uh, Martin Crow and uh, John Reed just because of what they've achieved. And we've already given uh, Brendan McCollum his due. They're yeah, you yeah. Know, they're all great captains, and they've done great things for you know historic things for the Black Caps. But I think those two are like the two best. Yeah, yeah. no. And I don't think there's any doubt that Kane Williamson is the greatest batsman to play for New Zealand. It's only a question of whether he's the goat cricketer for New Zealand. Yeah, exactly. And even that, I'd say there's not a lot of doubt these days. It's very hard to look past Sir Richard Hadley. He basically carried that team for so long. It is very hard to look past him, but like being, very hard like to look past for him. a long time, he was like the only good player. Yeah, like the only world class player in that team. Yes, and that team did amazingly wonderful things with just him. I, I, yeah, there is that going there, but at the same time, I just look in the go, but. Kane, so I just, yeah. Don't get me wrong. Late eighties, mid to late eighties, I grew up watching Hadley just devastate everything. That's very fond childhood memories of that. Um, yeah, yeah. So I don't really want to place him any lower than the goat for New Zealand cricket. But it's, we can have two each, goats. Yeah, I say every year it gets harder and harder not to to consider Kane there. But I say it is. You can't have two because you know Kane's the goat of batting, and Sir Richard's the the goat of bowling, and arguably the goat all rounder for New exactly, Zealand. Ah, yeah. uh, John Reed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's an argument for another time. But Kane Williamson, <laughs> like, definitely one of our top ten best per sports people of the year. Yeah. Uh, and like, obviously, one of those people who's made this year as memorable for us as it has been. Exactly. Now we're gonna go into moments. Yeah. The first moment 
the reason why I'm going to here first is because it is the most indelibly, like, it's such a huge thing on our mind when it was announced, and we had a whole podcast about it leading up to it before it was surprisingly announced, and then after. Yeah, we, we <laughs> I think we had three things. or four podcasts on this concept. So we don't need to go too deeply into it. It's obviously the Super League announcement yeah. uh, by the Big 12, which are now the Big 2. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This was living in my head rent-free for a good two weeks, I think, when it was announced. Yeah, exactly. As I, uh, we, we discussed it quite a lot when it came out. And say we brought it up, I think, a month or so before it was announced. It was yes. Most of a podcast, it was a bit of a derailment out of a podcast, I think. Um, yeah. But then we had three further podcasts after the announcement on it all. So, yeah. yeah, I think it's safe to say, especially from our point of view, this was the sporting moment of the year. Like, we talked yeah. about it so much. It's a bit crazy. And they were all, like, people want to listen to it as well. Like, they've all been our yeah. top podcasts of the year. Um, yeah. So. And it's not like we chose those times to talk about it. We just couldn't not talk about it. Yeah, exactly. Like, there were thoughts in our head that just needed to be put down in podcast form about this. And, like, we just couldn't stop thinking about it and going on about it. So, yeah. And it's turned out to be more coherent than I imagined when when I listened to it in the end. (laughs) But we've talked enough about the Super League all year, but it is one of the moments of the year. We can say without a doubt. Definitely. Following on from the Super League, just because this moment was just stuck in my head. Christian Eriksen at the Euros. Yeah. Yeah. What an awful, awful moment. And like, rightfully, TV cameras getting the absolute bollocks uh, thrown at them by the fans. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's just... It's almost emotional just to even remember it. Yeah, it was just a, thinking a about crazy what had happened. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 hard to to think about it as you say, and it was just crazy, and just everything around it was crazy. Yeah, and like just the things surrounding it, like the players have to go in and being forced to complete the game, which they ended up losing. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it was like n- there were no winners that night. No. And not football, not Denmark, even Finland, who technically won. Yeah. Definitely not UEFA. No. But in the end, Christian Eriksen survived the skin of his teeth. Mm. Uh, so I guess he was a winner. Yeah. I think we'll give Christian Eriksen a winner. Though I guess on the night, he wasn't, yeah. wasn't feeling like a winner. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, now... Moving on from that low, we go to the great high for you, and I'll Yay. leave it to you now. Yeah, so the next one, of course, is Chelsea winning the Champions League. So, oh, as you say, shaking off the Ericsson thing and just letting that flood in just makes me happy still thinking about it. It It is sustaining me through the current times, which we won't get into too much with Chelsea, but... Um, yeah, there's lots on forums and Reddit and other places. Just every now and then a reminder, yeah, we are the champions of Europe. It's just a, a nice reminder. 
not just the champions of Europe, you are the only club from the great city of London to have won a Champions League. Yeah. But this is twice now. So. You're London's most successful um, uh, club at the European level with a Cup Winners' Cup, a couple of Europa Leagues, and two Champions Leagues now. Yeah, exactly. And you're about to catch up. You'll eventually... You're, the rate you're going, you guys will eventually catch up to Arsenal's league total tally as well and be yeah, yeah. like the club for the capital. Yeah. It'll happen. Just but yeah, what an incredible moment. Like, just to give it some perspective, I have watched every final that Chelsea has been in in the UCL. Mm. And to. The last two times they, the last three Champions League finals they were in, we were we managed to watch together at a pub. Times do not allow for that anymore. No. But uh, we did manage to, uh, we did both watch the game. Obviously, yeah. what a game it was! What an incredible. And, yeah, I did get to watch it with my son as well, which was, which yeah, also special sons actually. I think both of them were. We're up watching it at the time, so that was was good as well. So it was just extra special for everybody. It was just a, a fun morning here in New Zealand. That moment you you're there for that moment when your sons fall in love with football. Yeah, yeah. Did have to have had since then have to um expand definition of love for a bit there since you know adults not in our our list here particularly, but Ronaldo going back to. United and therefore both my sons deciding that they were now United fans as well as Chelsea fans since Ronaldo was there. But um, such as good life. boys, good boys. <laughs> yes, yes. Join the dark side, children. <laughs> Join. Uh, and not only did your favorite club side win the greatest trophy there is on offer for them. The great, the team that you like at international level, yeah, have oh, finally goodness. broken their trophy drought. Lionel Messi winning his first ever uh, trophy for the senior men's team, senior men Argentinian team. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was great as well. We also watched that with my son. <laughs> that was another amazing, amazing moment. It was just, yeah, it's it's. Amazing to think how long Argentina's it's been since Argentina's won a some sort of championship, senior men's championship. Like it's just crazy long, and just to finally get it done, just so happy. Um, this was so, the last time they won was so long ago. Gabriel Batistuta was a rookie, yeah, <laughs> and Maradona had done his first retirement. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's crazy to think. And just after winning that Copa America, Argentinian football went into such lows that they had to go to the Intercontinental uh, playoff to qualify for the 94 World Cup against uh, Australia. Yeah. And my cousin got to see Maradona play live in Sydney. Wow, that is amazing. But yeah, no, yes, I remember that as well. Yeah. So there's been so many highs and lows. There's I remember in the 2002 World Cup where Argentina were legitimate favorites to win. Yeah. With an incredible team, and they didn't even get past the first round. No. And then in 2010, when they were again one of the favorites to win, and then they lost 4-1 to uh, Germany. Yes. Yes. In the quarterfinal. 
just so many uh, times when they've had good... T- and then losing the final to Germany in the 2014 World Cup. Um, la- yeah, last 10-minute goal for, uh, by Mario Gotze. Um, it's just like Argentina just felt like they were jinxed. Like, so many finals, they got so many Copa America finals, they went to three in a row at one point, I think. Yeah, something like that. Sounds about right. So, it's been a long time coming. Arguably the greatest player in the modern era. Like, we can have two goats, I believe. Yeah, yeah. And there are two goats in in our sport, the sport we love. Um, We're lucky to be in this era. It's not going to last for much longer, but to be able to see two incredible players... Who are gonna break records that are gonna take years to like for anyone to get close to? I think yeah, that's yeah, great to see one of those legends finally achieve something that he's so wanted after so long. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And just yeah, he had an amazing performance throughout that whole tournament and in the final, and then just the thing that's gonna really sit with me is just the outpouring of emotion from the Argentine players when the final whistle went and they realised they'd finally won. It just... It was just amazing. And shout out to Neymar. Nice touch for him to give uh, Messi a hug uh, after he'd won. I'm sure he was super disappointed. I know Neymar gets a lot of crap, but he is now officially Brazil's highest ever goal scorer, beating Pelé. Yeah. And he's led Brazil admirably as a captain since he's become the captain of the team. So he does wear his heart on the sleeve. He is a flair player. As much as we may mock him for shenanigans, and rightfully so, we can't deny what a great player he is. And like, and, and I think winning against Brazil also makes that final so meaningful for yeah, uh, yeah. Messi. No, that was also, yeah. Awesome as well. Yeah, so great final. Argentina, Brazil, the Copa America. Like, it's hard to imagine two bigger, there's the two big teams from South America. And you had, you know, star studded team on both sides. Two great players at peak form in Neymar and, and Messi as well. And just, yeah, it was a great final. And it was just, yeah, really good to win. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm sure, like, the celebrations in Buenos Aires, Rosario, and all the cities in Argentina, all the way from the Andes to the Patagonia, were went long into the night. Yeah. Now, moving, taking a small break from football <clears throat> for a moment, I'm going to, this particular moment, while it wasn't like a big splash or an explosion... I feel like if we didn't talk about it, it would be really remiss because this is going to have an impact well down into the future of yeah, yeah. sports. And maybe not ju- not just North American sports, which is what you think what we think about, but all sports. Yeah. So the NCAA has uh, uh, was being sued by in the Supreme Court for by a player because they used his image to sell an NCAA, uh, NCAA football video game. Yeah. Which he basically went, um, no, that's me. You can't just use my image yeah. for commercial use. And, like, forget that you didn't pay me, but, like, you know, you can't just use my face. 
Yeah, yeah. Got my permission. And then from then on, another player went, actually, at the end of the day, my image rights are my thing. Sure, you're telling me I can't work, but why can't I make money off my, my like, you know, my likeness and things like that? Because people are doing that anyway. And I'm not getting any money from it. Forget you guys, we're not allowed to do that, but other people are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it went, I think, I think uh, Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh explained it best, and I'm just going to quote him ad verbatim. Nowhere else in America can a business get away with agreeing not to pay their workers a fair market rate on the theory that their product is defined by not paying their workers a fair market rate. <laughs> And under ordinary principles of antitrust law, it is not evident why college sports should be any different, and the NCAA is not above the law. I think oh. that's like a big slap. Yeah. You know? It's great that finally someone said it. The NCAA NCAA is not above the law. Like, they've acted like and it for so the, long. Just, just the first line about, you can't yeah. say you're, you shouldn't be allowed, you shouldn't have to pay people because your product is defined by the fact that you don't pay people. Yeah, that's crazy as well. <laughs> like, like, which is, when you break down to this, like, I can't think of another, you know, more succinct way to explain the situation. So, yeah, this is, has ramifications even beyond image rights because I can't see a situation where players can't earn money. Sure, colleges might not pay them, but telling them that they can't work part-time jobs or be paid by, spawn, yeah. They're already oh, now yeah. going to be able to get sponsorship deals because of this, because that's, that's going to be the biggest rights. thing. That's going to be the biggest thing. But out the of fact this. that they're not, you know, smaller colleges for players who are not going to be, you know, well, you know, well known enough for Nike and them to give them big deals, they're going to be able to be paid by like boosters and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's going to change the college scene forever, um, and it could have a real impact. Uh, not just a big two sports of college, which is basketball and American football. But into the future, I could see it affect cricket with all, and the NCAA cricket thing uh, already mm. coming along. Um, football, uh, it could affect, obviously it could affect other North American sports like hockey and baseball, but even yeah. athletics. Oh, it's, everything. It's opened, there's a, there's a genie that's been let out of a bottle that's not going to go back in. And no, exactly. we don't yet know what the outcome is going to look like from that. No. And I mean, yeah, as you say, this is potentially just the tip, but it's the tip of a very large iceberg that has been sitting there for some time. Like, yeah. Been years and years of this being debated and argued about, and all the ways different colleges have bent the rules as far as they possibly could, sometimes breaking them and just pushing yes. them up. And. All because, as you say, the NCAA was determined that they wouldn't pay players, um, despite yeah. making lots of money off said players themselves. Um, yes. So, yeah. Absolutely. Was, yeah. About time like, it started. The, the ridiculous abuse of, like, actually using a player's image in a video game yeah. cover and, like, them getting nothing out of it. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. That just showed the arrogance of the NCAA. Yeah. Like, that's why I think that last line of the NCAA is not above the law, is the the 
almost the biggest line on that, which is just, yeah, guys, come on, stop acting like you're some special thing. Like, yeah. You're not. You're, you're a normal organization. You need to play by the rules. Exactly. Um, so there's definitely more to watch from this space, and I think we will kind of follow a bit of the story in the mm. new year because there are new NCAs proposing new rules and things for the coming uh, college season. Um, so we'll find, we'll see how that looks. Um, moving on, this was literally a moment, and it was less than five seconds. Basically, all we have to, uh, the only words we have for it is, no, agua. <laughs> yeah. So Cristiano Ronaldo, in less than five seconds, managed to destroy, I think it was, what, $5 billion from Coke's value? Something crazy like that, yeah. By removing a Coke bottle from the camera. Yeah. And putting out a water bottle and saying we should be promoting this. Yeah. By the way, we, we've ha- we have had a podcast talking about this, so we don't need to go too deep. But, you know, the amount of crap he got for going, we should be promoting healthy stuff like water instead of Coke. <laughs> that is a controversial state to be, uh, statement to be making in these times. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's still crazy to think that, that how much crap he got, like... He wanted water, that's perfectly, and that should be promoted. Like, that's actually where we should be at, people. Yeah. He's basically like, I don't want to promote something that I think is unhealthy and children, and people shouldn't drink. And I'm a role, I could, and I own that I'm a role model. Yeah. Like, okay. Great of him. Like, that makes me like Cristiano Ronaldo just a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's just an awesome statement for him, and an awesome way of being. And yeah, and poor Coca-Cola. Well, well, I lost $5 billion. Well, it, no, they lost $5 billion in valuation, value, which was less than 1% of their value, so, yeah. you know. And it's sort of imaginary, since it's just shares anyway. And yes. Well, it's money, which is imaginary anyway. Yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> If we're going to go down that route. Fair enough. At least it's not as bad as like, you know, people in Ecuador losing out on their savings because Elon Musk tweets. You know, because yeah. their Bitcoin's now their official currency. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We live in very interesting times. Very interesting. Uh, now, moving on from Ronaldo's Bottlegate, because we have covered it already. Yeah, yeah. This moment, like, I don't think anybody in the world hasn't watched this YouTube clip at least three or four times. Everyone talked about it. Like, I don't know about you, but, like, basically, when I go, I see my parents usually once a week, maybe two or three times, twice a week, depending on how it goes. And, like, we just couldn't stop talking about this. High jumpers, sharing the gold. What an inspiring moment for everyone. Like, unprecedented in history of the Olympics. A crazy time. And I just, yeah, I like the whole story around it and just how it all went down. And the fact the two of them were, like, really good friends. And that's, like, they were, like, this is the perfect way to end this. It was, yeah. And 
the fact that basically they were being explained the rules above the jump off, and they're both like, yeah, yeah, we understand. We've been here before. We're around the block. And just like, Bauman just going, wait, do we have to do the go ahead? And the guy was like, well, no, so we can, sh can we share it? And they're like, well, if you, and the guy's just like, uh, the official's like, if you want. And they both just went, yep, yep done. Yep, done. <laughs> We don't feel like jumping around for another couple of hours till one of us breaks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just that that whole moment where they just realize we we can just share it. Let's just do that then. Like the look on both their faces and just how had the different reactions to it as well. Like the two jumpers just react differently, but you can just see that both of them like this is the best idea ever. Like, yeah, there's there's no reason not to do this. So, Absolutely. Yeah. And they just go and like the fact that the like the women, people from the women's high jump who were doing it on the other side just ran over to come in like uh, embrace them and congratulate yeah. them for winning and like you know the guy the Bulgarian jumper who won bronze went up to them like it was just such a like as you could tell like it was just all because they were supposed to leave within ten minutes so that the hundred meters final could go on and the hundred meters is not a small event like oh, no. you could argue it's one of the what is events much, of the it's pretty much the the pinnacle of that first first week yeah the first week of the yeah. olympics like everything leads up to that especially in track and field like that is yeah. the race it's one of the rolls royce events of yeah. the uh of the uh, of any olympics let alone yeah. tokyo and like basically the um they were just standing there, and at one at some point, the uh, the organizers just like, yeah, we're not gonna bother, yeah, uh, trying to get rid of you. We'll let you have your moment, and we'll go from there. And it was like, yeah, it's incredible. It was incredible. It really was. And the uh, the and like it was gonna be one of those. It's going to be one of those moments we're going to see on TV every four years when the Olympics comes up again, as, as like yeah, yeah. you know, this was one of the great moments of the Olympics. Um, like just to clarify, just to give context, in the Helsinki Olympics in 1910, there's two the two wrestlers in the finals actually wrestled for eight hours straight. Uh, without having a winner, and the uh, r finally the judges went, we can't be arsed, uh, so we're giving you both silver. Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, they were allowed to share gold, which I think is incredible. Like, even if that wasn't technically in the rules, I'm like, I like that the Olympic Committee kind of went, eh, okay. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, just like the the uh, so that's gonna be uh, like I said, it's gonna be in the Olympic highlights for years to come. Another highlight for us, and this time related to the cricket, HS Patel Tenfer, another yeah. guy who goes on a mountain occupied, uh, you know. Uh, Pantheon, which only has two other people. Yeah, he's also the he's also unique amongst those three because his tenfer came in a match which they lost. Yeah, um, we'll ignore that bit. 
But yeah, 10 for the match. Uh, sorry, 14 for the match, 10 in an innings. What an incredible performance. Like, yeah. when he got his sixth wicket, I was just sitting there going, oh, he's going to get 10. I just know it. I just feel it in my bones. He's going to get 10. If India don't declare, he's going to get 10. Yeah. And they didn't declare. Actually, and he got move, that would have been declaring at some point. Like, I, I've, like they had enough runs at that point. Like, know, they exactly. didn't need to continue batting. At the, but, like, there was plenty of time left in the match, so it wasn't like they were in any, you know, threat to for it to go into a draw or anything like that. Yeah, 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 exactly. But, yes, Ajaz, and also, side note, Ajaz Patel was not out in every single innings he batted in as well in that game. Yeah. I thought he was last man out in the last innings. No, not out. No, he's the red out. ink. Sorry, he's the red ink. Oh, that's good. No, yeah, I know. No, that, was, that was basically the Ajaz Patel game. I knew that much. That It was just like, yeah. you know what, I'm going to do everything. Whatever. So, like, what an incredible performance. Like, Aegis Patel, he's our overseas spinner. He doesn't get to play many games at home for us. He hasn't played a game at home. And he goes overseas. Like, you can say that he only gets to bowl in favorable conditions, but, you know, his job is to get wickets in those conditions, and he does. And he he almost... It's almost like his tactics are almost like the way a leg spinner bowls. Like, he's not... He's not, like... Usually left-arm spinners are super accurate. They control their line and length, and they use um, variation, subtle variations to try and get people out over long okay. times. Whereas Ajaz Patel does get hit for a bit of runs because he doesn't. He does sometimes lose his line and length, but you know, in that, you know, conceding runs, he gets people out, which is yeah. why he's got like a ridiculous Test bowling average of like I believe. Uh, 13 at the moment. Like, he's under Carl Jameson's bowling average. Yeah, no, it's, it's it's crazy how good he is. And I do feel a little sad that they didn't pick him for one of the home tests. Put him in the squad and pick him for one of the home tests just because of that 10 for it. It's been like, you get to have a home test. Like, yeah. Just but it's the thing, one. like, it's, that's basically the home test spinner is uh, is Ish Sodi or Mitchell Santner because they can bat better. Yeah, yeah. And, like, there is a school of thought that you get more out of that. I mean, yeah. At well, the end of the day, he's got, he's uh, he's managed to do, uh, t- get take the most out of his mm-hmm. um, opportunities. So that's all he needs to do. Yeah. I know, Gary yeah. Stead- was pure clear like in New Zealand conditions New Zealand we've been winning all our test matches with our full um, seam attack so why deviate from that like that is the winning formula at the moment so that's what we we pick in New Zealand it's like yeah you make a point but Tenfa come on yeah give yeah give him one that's yeah 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 but maybe sure if we get a test team visit and it's not part of the world test championships He'll yeah. get his opportunity. Well, maybe if we get a few more tests over a summer, um, mm. like this summer, well, it's only the two tests against Bangladesh, I think. New Zealand yeah. begged, begged India not to ask, not to play a third match when they came over last year, yeah. or sorry, in 2019, yeah, because they lose so much money from Test cricket. Yeah, I know. So, why. yeah. So this is. It's not that visiting teams don't want to play games here. No, no. That's... 
New Zealand cricket's got to make some money. They've got to pay the players. Yes, exactly. And they get paid that. from the T20s and the Windays. Yeah. So, yeah, it is what it is at the end of the day. Yeah, it is what it is, you say. Now, moving on from that wonderful final... Uh, sorry, moving on from that wonderful performance, we go to a team performance, Black Caps winning the ICC World Test Championship. Woo! First one ever. There's only ever yeah. going to be one team to win the first, and it's us. That's us, exactly. That's, yeah. That Amazing moment time. when Ross Taylor flicked it down his pads into the boundary, like the classic yeah. Ross Taylor shot. And uh, Ross fair. Taylor had been playing so well in that game, so unselfishly, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously, to Kane Williamson, we've already mentioned credible captaincy, and Carl Jamieson with the ball. Mm. It's just, well, it's a great all-round team performance that game. Yeah. Um, it could have so easily turned. It looks closer. It's closer than it looked. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and like I, I think to explain it best, like, uh. This, the New Zealand team has come so far. Like 2002, our domestic players weren't even professional. They had to get jobs. Like we overseas openers were averaging more in New Zealand than New Zealand openers. We it was, you know, it things were not good, and we've come so far from then. And like this current team of players, like the core at least, have come from like that 46 all out in Cape Town. Yeah, and just created this new mindset and this new team culture and like you know, the Black Caps are not going to win all the time the Black Caps are not always going to be dominant and they're not going to make make all the finals all the time but yeah, yeah, I think yeah. we all know what a Black Caps team is we all yeah. know now what a Black Caps player is and what a Black Caps uh, what they represent when they go out and put the silver fern on and you know play for the country yeah Exactly. So and like the 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 investment into the grassroots and what and like I think also New Zealand cricket look innovating as much as they have in trying to figure out income streams like doing their overseas broadcasting deals with Amazon, yeah, um, and things like that. Like you know, we can yeah we know that. Uh, New Zealand has to scra- uh, New Zealand cricket has to scrape for every penny they can find behind the couch <laughs> to keep things running. And like cricket exists in New Zealand because people love the game. Yeah. Like there's a lot of problems in a lot of c- countries and like outside of Asia, where with cricket, where cricket is a uh, outside of Asia and outside the West Indies. Where cricket is a upper class private school game, even yeah. in New- Australia to a certain extent, like most of the current Australian team are like you know private school guys. Uh, South Africa, hundred percent. Even their non-white players are all from like two or three private schools yeah, yeah, yeah. in the country. And England, it's like you, you can't even talk more <laughs> about. It. Like it's very much like that, and it's not like that in New Zealand. Like New Zealand, like all culture, yeah, almost people, people from almost every ethnic group that exists in this multicultural country, uh, like love the game. 
Yeah. Like, even if it's not played back in their home, whether they're from Eastern Europe, whether they're from, you know, North Africa or, you know, East Asia, South America, you know, they end up falling in love with the sport here. And it's because of the culture of the way they play cricket here, like at all levels, I think. And that's because of the black caps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've created, they've, even if we don't ever win another ICC final, whatever that is, like, you know, they've created, this team has, have created something I feel that's permanent. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Same. Like, it's, it's, you're never going to be the All Blacks. No. And that's not, and they don't want to be the All Blacks, you know, they, no. I think... It's something else entirely, and it's just as now once again just as a, you know, a part of the fabric of New Zealand, which it was kind of losing, which we were kind of losing. We were kind of losing, and yeah, I think it was in a, a Brendan Brendan McCallum documentary. I think it was that I saw it that that emphasised that where they through the change of his captaincy and that yeah disastrous innings in South Africa where just after that they were like we just need to change things and realised they were trying to be like Australia back in the early 2000s you know they modelled themselves off Australia in the early 2000s and they A weren't Australia and even Australia weren't anymore the Australia of the early 2000s so they needed their own identity and I think since then they've, they've you say they've moulded that well you know and never give up run for every ball Know, everything that's hit, chase it down. Um, that sort of mentality, and it's, it's it's showing, and they're getting the rewards they they deserve for it. I agree. And I feel like I don't think any apart from the All Blacks, I can't think of a national team that the country has gotten behind more than the Black Caps. Mm. Like, rugby has a lot of casual fans, and we have done a podcast about this place of rugby and the New, New Zealand psyche and its place in our culture and, you and know, landscape. As of currently, but yes, it will get released, even though it's now it is the, seven it's or eight what, it, months old. It's, it's, like, uh, it's like our secret concept album that we haven't released. It's full of yeah. bootleg materials that everybody goes on about. It's the best one, but we just it's not ready yet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Though it does contain um, um, discussion about perhaps, uh, I know again, I'm a bit off topic, an honourable mention for moments of the year anyway, and that being the Silver Lake deal, which is still not finished, and we probably should update that podcast anyway. And like, I think because not too many spoilers for that podcast, because it is not out yet. There's a big thing, which I think you agreed with, which I, I noticed is there are pockets in New Zealand and islands of where one where you have a sport that's not rugby be like the sport of that particular yeah. town all along New Zealand just because New Zealand is a big country and area if not population yeah and like people develop unique local sports cultures but even yeah. in those towns like those big rugby league towns those big uh soccer towns those you know and all that you know People love playing cricket. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, Australia, there's a huge problem where they're trying to get Aboriginal players to play the game and, like, non-white players to go get into playing cricket because their clubs have been basically keeping them out. 
Yeah. And while I'm not saying that that isn't necessar- that isn't a problem in New Zealand and and or hasn't been a problem in New Zealand because of course it has. But we know that there are at least 3 clubs in New Zealand, sorry, in Auckland alone that are like, you know, they're the they're the Polynesian clubs that people run them like the volunteers who keep those clubs like Otara, Manuriwa and um yeah, in Takanini, they'll keep those cricket clubs running. You know, those are, you know, they're local people, you know. And yeah, yeah. it's because, like, you know, cricket is also the summer sport of the islands. Like, you know, Kirikiti slash cricket. Yeah, yeah. And, like, the... And obviously the South Asian community in New Zealand is, like, one of the core... I think one of the building blocks of, like, the clubs... You know, domestic club scene and yeah, social yeah, cricket scene. Um. And like even back when you and I, you played cricket with me in like the mid two thousands in social game, like you know, teams like sure, this is social and it's uh, uh, it's club cricket, not park cricket, but still social as opposed to playing for like the ones or the twos. Yeah, yeah. Etc. Yeah, these cl- yeah clubs had Maori, Pacific, you know, Asian players, and not. Yeah, exactly. Not just Asian, as in like South Asian, but no, you know, Asian, East Asian and Middle Eastern players as well. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure if you go there now, there'll be players of African descent, and like I said, players from South America as well, because you know, yeah, yeah. as much as like people try to make cricket an elitist sport, it's not. Yeah, like the history of cricket, despite what people think, it's the sport that people who came from the who, from the countryside who couldn't, who lost their jobs because of the agricultural revolution and had to be forced to work in the factories. You know, they would go to fields, the few fields that existed in big cities, and play cricket, yeah. and then came up with rules and all that. Like, so it's the it's always been the people's game. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, like, obviously the subcontinent, like, exemplifies that. Yeah. 100%. But I think the only, and, like, the subcontinent, the West Indies, and New Zealand are the only place where it's still like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To a large degree. Yeah. But, yeah, as you say, in New Zealand, it's definitely the summer game. Like. Yeah. And, as you say, most New Zealand cricket, as you say, do you need the script down the back of the, um, back of the couch for their, you know, weekly money. They they are having to do that so that they can operate at the high level because, as we both know, through the the the, the leaner times of New Zealand cricket, the New Zealand public will demand high levels from their team. Yeah. Um. And and so it's it's, which makes the the current ethos of New Zealand cricket really really pleasing because it's it's. Aligning itself with what the New Zealand public wants, you know, we know we're yeah. not going to win everything. You know, you say they're not the All Blacks. We are playing in a in a sport that has some pretty big numbers behind it overseas. You know, sure it's still not as global as some other ones, you know, football or things, but still, you know, when you're facing up against this is the India, sport that's so financially lucrative that the Olympics in the end had to force the ICC to make it join. 
And it's going to be in the Olympics in LA. Sorry, in Paris. Paris, yes. So, you know. And like, yeah, and it's been, you know, the Olympics have been trying to get cricket in for decades. Yeah. So it's not even like we've been trying to get that to happen. So it's going to be incredible. Like, it's such, uh, like, even if, like I said, if the team never win another final, I still know that people who put on the black cap are going to be doing their best to try and, you know, put on their best performance on the field and, like, you know, hold, uphold the honor of the yeah. Silver Fern. Exactly. Now, the final one, just because it was probably the most recent one we can talk about, yeah. the F1 final race. Like We've mentioned Verstappen, we've mentioned Red Bull, Yeah. but was that the most F1 way to have a, <laughs> have a had, season it, end? It ever? had everything, yeah. I mean, it had everything that F1 has, right? And conspiracies before the race where it was pointed out that Verstappen could, you know, purposely crash into into Hamilton and win because he'd won more um, races through the season, and that so he'd win on countback. Um, thankfully, he didn't just blatantly drive into to Hamilton to start with. Um, it's as though another driver has done that before. Wait, no, nobody's ever done that, right? <laughs> Couldn't imagine. Um, yeah, but you're saying it had some fast driving. ahead. Verstappen having a poor start, but Hamilton having a great start, getting in front, leading the way through, you know, F1 things happening, and I, then the end. I know you're a Verstappen fan, and I'm not really a Lewis Hamilton fan, uh, but I don't dislike him like a lot of people do. Yeah. Like, yeah. Marcus Alonso was the last great. Uh, uh, F1 driver that I really that I truly loved. Yeah. Nobody will ever have my heart like Marcus Alonso and obviously Michael Schumacher. But yeah, yeah. since then, like I'm like everybody's like I only like I only love you platonically. <laughs> but but look, Lewis Hamilton was robbed. Let me just say that. Oh, <laughs> if that off my chest. Yeah. I feel like the F1, they just mucked up what they wanted to do. They should have just red flagged the goddamn thing. Because that's what they really wanted to do. Just red flag it, have your sprint race, finish. You know. But yeah, the way they did it was things. I, in terms of that race, I would agree that Hamilton was a little bit robbed. In terms of the season, I feel like it was a little bit of redressing like the season itself, there was moments all the way through with both Hamilton and and Verstappen, where they both were favoured or non-favoured by decisions, and there was some really questionable stuff going on. I agree, because hundred percent. I'm not denying that Verstappen deservedly won the F1 championship. Yeah, there was just but going Lewis on. Hamilton was robbed at that race. Yeah, as I say, they should have just red flagged it. The problem is that they clearly didn't want to finish under yellow flag because yeah. that wouldn't work they wanted to have yeah. a sprint race they wanted to have their flying finish of some way they just decided that they obviously thought they could um 
clear the track quicker than they actually end up doing. They thought they could just yellow flag it for a couple of laps, get it clear, and get back to racing, and didn't. And really, they should have done it like I think it was the Sochi um, F1 earlier, where um, Mazepin, I think, crashed into the barrier, and they yellow flagged it for a bit. So they got the car off the track, and then they realized that the barrier was actually properly damaged. And they're like, actually, we're going to red flag this. And there was some controversy there as well, because Verstappen didn't pit, and Hamilton and 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 um, Hamilton did, and Verstappen gained two places because of that. And then they red flagged it, he stopped, yeah. and he was in the wrong place. And in the end, they sort of just put him back where he should have been if they'd red flagged it in the first place. Um, yeah. But this, they should have done the same thing here. Once they realised that it wasn't going to get cleared up as quickly as they wanted it to, just reflagged it and gone, you know what? Lewis gets new tyres, everybody gets new tyres, we're just going to start from the grid and have two or three, you know, they can set the number of laps, two or three laps, finish, we'll have our grandstand finish, it's fine. Yeah. Because the way they did it was just a mess and it also screwed up everybody else in the field. It was like they just cared about two drivers. And everybody else got screwed. Um, because... Yeah. Was it Sainz? No. Sainz got screwed anyway um, in his championship mm. bid. But whoever was third was actually not that far behind. But they didn't get their back markers cleared. So if they, yeah. got, if they got their back markers cleared... It was cleared, a complete shit show. There's just no other way to describe it. No, it was like the worst decisions made possible. Which is why I look at it and go... It was the perfect F1 finish because yeah. F1 themselves screwed it up. Disappointing because F1, as I alluded to earlier, have been so good in recent years in modernizing the sport, getting it yeah. out there, getting new viewers. I mean, don't get me wrong, this is going to get even more new viewers because if oh, yeah. this doesn't, I don't know what the fuck young <laughs> kids are into these days. <laughs> This is gonna be... If this doesn't get if this doesn't get your eyeballs rolling and like into into a sport, I don't know what will. I mean, there's great conspiracy theories that this was done specifically for Drive to Survive 2022. Um, so just yeah, imagine the viewership numbers on Netflix next year for um for the Drive to Survive series that covers this current season. It's gonna be crazy. So, yeah, it's going to be incredible. Like Drive to Survive is such an incredible series. It doesn't matter whether you like F1 or not. Yeah. And you don't need to make it any more dramatic, but they did. <laughs> they did anyway. Uh, I wish they had just... It'd be... I'm looking forward to next season in the hope that they sort some of their um, decision-making out in terms of, of rules and when they're enforcing particular rules and when they're not. Um, make it a bit clearer because i mean the season has been an absolute shit show for that like this is just one of many many instances where their decision making is just being absolutely terrible um you know there's been terrible decision making around when track limits apply and when they don't um how many how many laps at the beginning you know is that gray period of track limits there when is it not like oh maybe yeah when do people have to give places back when under yellow car flags or anything like yeah, it's, it, it's its own podcast in its, itself it's around it is and decision making i think it's just the thing like we as fans as much as we bitch about umpires and referees making mistakes hmm. 
they're human. They're going to make yeah. mistakes. We can accept a refereeing error, like changing an outcome because, you know, humans participate in the sport as officials and players and administrators. But it's ridiculous that, like, when you get the equivalent of America's Cups being decided by, you know, court decisions, uh, like, you know, literal court cases. <laughs> Press the America's like, Cup yeah, and like, look, it's almost more important to have better lawyers than it is to have better sailors in the America's yeah. Cup. You better have good both of them anyway. Yeah, I mean, that's always the best, but only Man City can afford to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I do agree with that, but sometimes the F1 runs... Like, Formula One, it's... It's one thing if it's on-track people making mistakes, because once again, that can happen. But even then... But we're like, this is administrators being super inconsistent with applying the rules. And the administrators yeah. have no excuse for not applying the rules properly, because they're not doing it in a vacuum. You know, they're not doing it in the spur of the moment. And, yeah, exactly. You know, so it's gonna get in it. a vacuum. They have time to think about it, and it's their job to do it properly. And like, if they need time, they can get more time. That's what I mean. Like, they can, especially in like that final race. It is there was a little bit of time pressure because only, the crash happened with only five laps to yeah. go. So yeah. Oh, there's but, timing in that. Like, I yeah. accept that there that's going to cause some rushing so, decision. Yeah. So that's about the closest to a you know, heat of the moment footballing refereeing yeah. decision or umpire, yeah, you know, cricket umpire yeah. call because you've got five laps and you've got to make decision. But Say they could just red flag the race if it's causing that much problem, just red flag it and and I think create we all the would time be, you need. yeah, and we would be more forgiving about this if this would this had only happened in the last race of the season, yeah, and they had to make a decision quickly, and we'd be like, oh okay, like it's shitty and we're salty, but you know they had time pressure, and it's never happened before. Yeah. It's like with the super over in the uh, I in the 2019 World Cup, you can't blame the administrators for the rules being the way they were. They yeah. didn't think about what would happen if this super unlikely event of a tied yeah. super over happened. Yeah, exactly. There like, wasn't a precedent for them to think about it, and then they changed the rules accordingly after. You know. Yeah. Whereas, I mean, like, they'd come up with a rule then that they thought made sense, and then like, oh, actually, and having had it finally played out that way it doesn't make sense okay we'll change it well it's very sense. unsatisfying it logically yeah. makes sense and like as as a, as far as rules go it wasn't a bad one it just is it was clear that it was unsatisfying to the viewers yeah and i and think maybe we wouldn't be so like iffy so, so they're like I'm talk not talking about New Zealand fans who would be salty anyway, but like yeah. fans in general around the world wouldn't be so salty about that result if there wasn't that uh, that four that went to the boundary off Ben Stokes's bat while he was running. Yeah, yeah. And if that hadn't, ha you know, if that hadn't happened, and we still ended up with a tied super over and England won on boundary count back, then I think people would have gone, yeah, it happens. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, it, this is the rules, it is what it is. Yeah, yeah. And they both sides knew the rules. 
And no. so, like, and to be fair, that didn't change in, like, New Ze- the Black Caps knew that they had to get more than England's score. If they tied it, they would lose. Yeah, yeah. No, it was a known thing. Like, it wasn't something that just sort of came up at the end of the Super Over, like, oh, by the way, like, everybody knew what was, was happening. Yeah. So, yeah. So, we can, um, so we can, uh, there's, like, as I said, I emotionally hated that, but intellectually, and a guy who thinks a lot about rules and analytics, I was like, yeah, that's a fair, that was a fair way to decide. Yeah. As you say, it was an unlikely situation, and... Yeah. Yeah. It, it's... Wrong choice of words before. It does make sense as a way of, like, in this very unlikely thing, what would be the best way of deciding who was the better team? Or the one that's hit the most boundaries. Yeah, that makes sense. We want people... To, we want teams to be trying to hit boundaries. Yep, okay. That's a exactly. good thing to reward. You say it. That particular game just left that sour taste in it, like... Not just from the yeah. fans, as you say. We salty anyway, but just in general. And I, th- I feel yeah. like... and the rolling super overs... Well. Yeah, and I think, like, the rolling super overs will... Like, when we have one, because now we have to expect it to happen... Yeah. It'll be uh, it'll be an in, uh, incredible spectacle to watch. And fans can't say it was unsatisfying. If you're like, yeah. oh, we keep having super overs until we have a winner. Like, okay. Yeah, why not? I mean, sure, my heart's going to give out, but okay. Yeah. I mean, fans love a good penalty shootout in, the, in Football World Cups, right? Yeah. Uh, players hate it, and administrators are like, this is the worst ever. Coaches are like, this is the worst way of making, of deciding a winner. But fans are like, this is the best. Come on, penalties all the way. Yeah, I mean, I can, I can, yeah, I don't know. You can take away like uh, players getting abuse on social media for missing penalties. Like, okay, okay let's not do that. That's but, a more says more about those fans than anything in my head. Yeah. But other than that, like, yeah, I agree about penalty shootouts. And on a side note, like, the Black Caps have never won a Super Over in any format. Like, they put, we were there when the first ever T20i Super Over was played. Yeah. Against the West Indies, and I believe Chris Gale got 30 runs. Ridiculous. Ridiculousness. Tore apart Daniel Vittori, yeah. Yes, Daniel Vittori bowled it, and yeah, Chris Gale smashed it. And then, yeah, uh, we then had, like, yeah, I think New Zealand had better luck with bowl-offs. Yeah. But, when that, but bowl-offs are dumb. Yeah, like, that was the craziest just, thing about it. Yeah, upfront about it. Like, that was a dumb way to decide a tie. <laughs> it really was. Like, the problem with bowl-offs is they're stupid. <laughs> And they're basically a bat like a super over is an incredibly elegant way to solve a tie. Yeah. And like rolling super overs are even better. So they came up with the thing. Whereas F one they had a bunch of these similar situations with races and crashes and how to deal with them. And they still couldn't deal with it in the last race. Exactly. And they hadn't figured out what to do. Which is why I think the fans legitimate have a legitimate gripe. Yeah, yeah. What's sillier is, is with F1, like, the rules are basically written that the F1 race director can decide what the hell he wants to do. Yeah. If, in this situation, like, it's like, if there's a situation where it's, you're realizing shit's going to go down and things aren't going to be satisfying, 
do what you think's you know stop the race and sort it out basically is the yeah. the answer not keep it running yellow and then do a really shitty sort out don't make it worse that needs to, i think that's the new rule f1 needs to put in race director don't make shit worse okay rule number yeah. 2 yeah yeah it's like it's a thing in business, right? Like, mm. don't make it difficult for your customers to enjoy your stuff. Yeah. But I think, like I said, I hope that F1 learns from that. And I think we can look forward to the next season. It is going to be super interesting. Yeah. Do you think the Black Caps would be a good team to have a documentary-style fly-in-the-wall series about? I think so. But then I'm a, think, a large Black Caps fan, so... Yeah, but as in, like, compelling viewing. Like, last mm. year's World... Uh, I think, uh, yeah, definitely. Like, if you were to pick a... Obviously, uh, F1's... Uh, what's the name of the documentary? Uh, Drive to Survive is yeah. about the whole season as opposed to an individual team. But if you were to follow a team from this year in a documentary like, you know, Sunderland Till I Die or... Hard knocks. Yeah, yeah. Would you think the Black Caps would be the most interesting team to follow? Uh, it would probably be either them or, or India, I guess. Or England. Or England, actually. Actually, like, I think if it's England, it's probably more following Joe Root and just like. Yes, I agree. How has your season ended up like this? Yeah, especially because it started off so strong. Yeah. It's going to be an interesting year to come through. We're not quite yet in the last day of the year, so we've still got 24, uh, 25 hours? hours. Yeah. At least in New Zealand time for stuff to happen this century. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's all we have time for. Look forward to hearing from you. Hope you all have a good New Year's and a wonderful year to come. Yeah, yeah. Catch you next year. <laughs>